0: Welcome to Between the Two Trees. I am the Reverend Dr. Theta Franz, and this is podcast number four, Stories of Serendipity, or an alternate title, Why Whoopie Pies Matter to God. So I am going to start off by saying thank you. To all of the people who participated in interviews with me to put together this podcast, you're gonna hear first from my friend Lauren, and then you'll hear from a college friend of mine, Lorraine Robinson. She and I went to St. Mary's College of Maryland in Southern Maryland together a long time ago. Then you'll hear from my seminary brother, Garrett Foster. And then you'll hear from my twin, Tina, and all of them will be sharing stories of serendipity. Before we get to the interviews, I want to share my own story. So a few weeks ago, um, I guess it's about a month ago now, I was searching the internet looking for a whoopie pie maker. For anybody who doesn't know what a whoopie pie is, whoopie pies are, um, they're made of cake. It looks like a big Oreo cookie, but it's made out of cake. So there's cake on the bottom and cake on the top, and it's filled with this fluffy marshmallow buttercream that is just delightful. If you've never had a whoopie pie, I suggest you add it to your bucket list because they are so delicious. I am a huge fan of whoopie pies, so much so that my husband buys them at a local farmer's market just about every week. And I was thinking how silly it was that we were buying them when I could probably make them. I would just need a whoopie pie maker. Hence my search for a whoopie pie maker. And they look kind of like a waffle iron, but they have spaces, hollows, for you to make the two parts of the whoopie pie. And I was looking for one online. I found one, there, it wasn't super expensive, but I just didn't feel like ordering it. I'm like, oh, I'll get it another time. And I set it aside, didn't think of it again. Uh, the following weekend, I had to pick up our son from his group home. Um, our son, Tad, has autism and schizophrenia and he lives at a group home about an hour away. He comes home to visit every other weekend. And I was going, went to pick him up and on the way back from picking him up, I just got this gentle nudge. I call it the divine nudge to stop by a secondhand store that was on the way home from where I had picked him up. So we stopped in and I was looking around and the second room I went into, there was a brand new still in the box whoopie pie maker right there. And I was able to get a new whoopie pie maker at a bargain basement price, which was I was very excited about. And beyond that, there were some things happening around that time, some things at work happening and some other things happening around me that I was a little bit worried about. And that whoopie pie maker, for me, that was the divine saying, hey, I've got it you don't need to worry. And let me help the let me help you make the connection. You know, what, is, what does a whoopie pie maker have to do with the rest of your life, Theta? Here's how I think. Some people say, if I got that big check in the mail, if I got that dream job, if I got that clean bill of health, I would know that God was looking out for me. I see it differently. When the little things in my life line up. That is when I feel like the divine is paying attention. I don't need the big things to all work themselves out. It's when the little things are in alignment that I say, hey, God has got my back. Because my theory is this, if God is paying enough attention to know that I want a whoopie pie maker, then everything else is handled. I don't need to worry about the big stuff. It also makes me feel so loved and cared about. That such a big, awesome God cares about whether or not I have a whoopie pie maker. It really, it really touched me, and it gave me a lot of confidence, and hope, and excitement about what was ahead. I'm gonna go ahead and play the uh, interviews that I did, and with each story. You're going to hear the ways each of the people that I talked to had something marvelous, unexpected, and in my mind, divinely ordained work out for them. I hope you enjoy the stories. And as always, thanks for listening. This is my dear friend Lauren, who is sharing her story of serendipity And it resulted in her being able to establish a circle of friends that has lasted decades. Listen up.
1: Okay, so when I was growing up, the local mall was the place to be. And outside of the mall, there was a courtyard and it had, and the kids hung around the pizza place the movie theater and the arcade. That was all like in the courtyard, the entrances to those. So we would go there and scope out boys. And I'm talking, I was like 12 or 13 years old. And this was back in the day of payphones. So one day, my girlfriends and I did what a lot of people do, and we called that payphone. So we called the payphone, and a guy answered, and his name is Rick. And we talked to Rick, and we talked to Rick, like we got exchanged phone numbers, and this was, was between my girlfriend and I. And we talked for a long time, and it turned out that his parents had a place down at the Wildwood Beach. So every Friday, he would go with his family down to the beach. So he told us when they were going to be leaving, and my girlfriend and I went and stood by the the gas station that they would have to pass as they drove by on the way to the shore. So he drove by and we waved and we kept talking and eventually we met Rick. Now we were, as I said, we were young and we got to know him and two of his friends. And the serendipitous point is that This man, Rick and his friends, Rick has been in my life and my friends' lives since that day. He is a core part, he, his wife, and three other couples are a core part of the beauty of what's in my life. Well, knowing him led us to knowing another guy named Bob, and as it turns out, This group of people, there are eight eight of us now, four couples, and we have been in contact since I was 13 years old. We are extremely supportive of each other. Through knowing him, we met a man that he worked with. Now, that man that he worked with later became uh, the husband of one of my closest girlfriends. We are a group of friends that have something that we consider to be very rare. So we have known each other since high school. We have gone through graduations. We have been to each other's weddings, been in each other's weddings, been together through the birth of our children. Our children are now friends when we get together and we live in different areas now. We still get together four times a year. I talk with these girls Every day, almost, on on every day, they are a group of friends that we started going to the Poconos, the one Rick's introduced us to someone, his name, to Bob Opelkowski, not my husband, but another Bob, and his family owned a house in the Poconos, and we have all been going to that house in the Poconos together since before we were married, my girlfriends and I still go to that house in the Poconos every year, just the girls. And that is probably going on 25 or 30 years now. As I said, like when we get
0: together, our friend, our children, are friends, um, so you, could, you could it, develop these lifelong friends. These, this lifelong friendship all from one phone call to a pay phone outside the shopping mall on a whim when correct. you're a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
1: And these are, I can't, the, we are all so blessed to have each other. And we know that we know that what we have is rare because it's, it's gone on for, for years. Like they, these girls are, and these got this, these friends are my touchstone of support outside of my, my immediate family. I mean, they, there is nothing that, we have not endured together, you know, our children going away, empty nests, illnesses, our parents, now a lot of us are dealing with elderly parents. Um, It happened too that one, one guy, his dad died on the same day that my girlfriend, her mother died, and we were ended up at funerals back to back. There's just we feel so blessed and it, we find we think that it's very rare because of the longevity of it not to mention the way it happened so
0: when you think um, about that when you think about the way that that happened and the tremendous source of support that these people have been to you through this event that seemed random does it speak to you uh, about a power greater than you, and if it does, what does it tell you about that?
1: I don't know if I ever thought of it as a power greater than me, because it started. I mean, we all we frequently talk about the randomness of it and how our lives we would be different had that not happened. God's intervening to make that happen is not something, honestly, I have ever pinpointed as the cause. However. If I um, contemplate, then yes, uh, that event has become very enriching.
0: Well, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be God's intervention. It could be, you know, that your own inner wisdom, your own inner knowing gave you this nudge, gave you this creative idea to make that phone call that led you in that direction. It wasn't necessarily, I don't think it necessarily has to be the idea that, god yeah. people into places and circumstances like chess pieces on on a board right could, could be god as in the manifestation of your own inner creativity that led you to make that phone call just as a joke and there you are yes
1: yes it's it's always been a beautiful thing we always regard it as a beautiful thing we always regard it all of us as a gift
0: if it's a gift, then it had to come from somewhere. Correct. That's true. Yeah. It had yeah, to be given
1: it, to us, given yeah. to me.
0: Yeah, then it um, wasn't, and it wasn't random. It didn't just fall out of the sky. It sounds like there's an awareness there of, of having received from something. From yes. The universe, from great goodness, from yes. good orderly direction, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, that, that that came about. And mm-hmm. that awareness, being able to look back and see how that happened, um, has that given you comfort or confidence or any, any other good things throughout your life?
1: Honestly, that awareness, not really Theta, um, other than knowing that that was a gift. But I, I haven't taken that knowledge knowing that quote-unquote random acts random occurrences can occur in other areas given that something so beautiful and profound happened randomly
0: well it sounds like you have some ambivalence as to whether or not it's it happened randomly or whether it was given to you because you sometimes you call it a gift sometimes you call it random so it sounds like you're not really sure which it is and that's
1: okay we would say that we were given a gift
0: collectively you might come to that conclusion and individually it's a matter of figuring out if that's what you believe. and if you do believe that then what are the potential ramifications you know how do those ripples extend out from that event if they do at all maybe it was just a fluke maybe it was just a one-time thing and uh, it's possible that that's the case it's, we they don't, don't always, know. Yeah, we don't, don't have know. to know. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of not knowing. There's a lot of not knowing. And that's, yeah, it, it certainly is a wonderful happening in your life. And it sounds like you received tremendous benefit from it. And I uh, really appreciate your willingness to share that story, and to be a part of this podcast. Thanks so much. This next interview is my friend, Lorraine. As I mentioned, she and I were uh, friends in college and we, well, we're still friends now. We were able to reconnect on Facebook and uh, it was just a delight getting to talk to her and to hear about her story. Uh, She'll talk about, you'll hear about how when she was grieving and when she was struggling, the divine sent her a sign that she was loved and cared about. So listen up. So I'm very fortunate to have a guest with me today who's willing to share her story of serendipity or a time when God showed up for her in an interesting way or the divine or the universe or whatever you want to call it. Her name is Lorraine Robinson. And I will let her tell you what it is that she does. Lorraine, what do you do?
2: Well, uh, I am a uh, theater director, and currently I work as senior director of programs for an after-school community arts center uh, with youth that are primarily from households with low income. So we give them arts opportunities, theater classes, as well as a variety of other arts classes, visual art, digital art, dance, music, private instrument lessons, um, creative writing, you name it.
0: Oh, that sounds like wonderful and amazing work. And I am so grateful that you are willing to uh, come on the podcast and share your story. So I'm going to let you just tell your story of serendipity. So go ahead.
2: I have a rabbit story. A rabbit story. Um, Yeah, I, um, this was after my father had passed away. So it was, it was like within the next year. And I just felt sort of more in touch with god more in touch with you know even though my parents are past i still feel very connected and in some ways in touch with them
0: i just want to say i'm absolutely in agreement with that and i believe that the our loved ones remain close to us even when they are in non-physical so i i get what you're saying so go ahead
2: yeah so this rabbit story so i was living um uh you know I had been living at my father's house, parents house before he passed and so I was still there. I was the only one there living there after he passed away. So I stayed there for about a year um afterwards. And um you know I'm a I'm a strong woman grown woman, educated woman. I'm also my father's daughter, very handy person, so very very capable problem solver. Um, my dad was like a mix, mr Fix it type of stuff um you know some of that not necessarily about mechanical things, but just like capable capable of problem solving so, uh, I can do things for myself, you know so to speak so but I was having i guess really a, a vulnerable day you know uh you know the grief of having you know lost both my parents and, and most recently my father at that time. Um you know there there are times where you just feel more more vulnerable you know when it hits you so to speak anyway so I was staying there at that house and where I had grown up you know I went down in the basement back in the laundry area and there was a bad smell back there I was like what is that smell what is going on at all you know like there's, there's something wrong back here. And I, at first, I wasn't sure what it was, you know, so I just went back there and a couple times and, you know, but like I turned on the light and went and investigated more and then went over by um, the window. There's like a window down there in the basement and it was over a, um, you know, laundry area, some um, utility sinks and stuff. And I looked at the window and then I looked in the utility sinks and I realized that there were all of these maggots that were coming in through, um it's kinda gross. Oh, I know. That's that is so gross. This um utility through the window into this utility area in the basement. It was coming in from it's like a well window because it's um uh you know this is the basement level so there's a little well window that's at ground level and so these maggots were coming in from that well window. Uh, And it smelled terrible. I was like, oh, my gosh, what is this? What are all these maggots? Where are they coming from? They were, like, all over, and they were so, so gross, you know. And it's like, I don't love bugs and stuff like that, but, I mean, I'm also not just a squeamish girly girl or something either, but this really grossed me out. It was just gross. And somehow this moment with these maggots, like, just took me to my breaking point because of the grief. Um, I really think of the story comical now as I look back on it. So I just, I was overwhelmed with these maggots and they're everywhere. I didn't know what to do and, you know, it smelled bad and stuff. And so then I, uh, next door, we had some neighbors that my dad used to help out a lot and he would like hire one of the neighbors, um, you know, to come and do handyman kind of stuff. So we had, you know, close relationship with that family. So I definitely got on the phone, you know, to this, neighbor's uh you know son to come over and uh you know oh my gosh need your help like something's going on here and you know come over and help me out I went outside and I looked in that well window and what was in there a rabbit we have these wild rabbits down there that run around well the cover on the well window was cracked and a poor little rabbit had obviously fallen down in there and died Oh my. Um, so, so sad. So, this poor little rabbit was, you know, decomposing and covered with all these maggots. And then those maggots were escaping and getting into the house and just making a disaster down there. So, um, you know, I called this neighbor, uh, you know, Ron, to come over and help out. And fortunately, he came over right away. But still, I was just like, I was just beside myself. Like, again, this was this poor little rabbit and these maggots were just pushing me to this emotional point where I just, I couldn't deal. And I just felt in that moment, oh my gosh, um, you know, I just, I just need my dad. I wish my dad was here. This is, these, it's too much for me today. These maggots, this poor rabbit, I can't, I just can't handle it. I can't deal. I miss my dad so much. I wish he were here. And that was the feeling I was feeling. And I started crying. I went in the house and I was just feeling the ceiling um, you know, I went to the bathroom, I was crying, and I started to come out, and I just, this was the thought I was having myself, I just, I can't, you know, I just can't handle this today, I just, I just, I wish my dad was here, and I, as I, was, I'm having that thought and that feeling, and I'm crying, and even though Ron, Ron the nice neighbor, he's out back trying to look at the so rabbit and figure out what to do back there, I walked to the kitchen door and um, I opened the kitchen door to come back outside and you know talk to Ron. And I opened that door and I looked down the driveway and there's a truck coming up the driveway. Um, the exact moment that I stood and opened the door and looked out, and the person that was in that truck was my uncle,
0: oh, my wow. dad's brother. Oh wow! Who
2: does not live in this state. Hmm. He lives in Richmond, Virginia, and I walked out there to him, and, um, you know, he parked, and, and, you know, he had a history as, you know, we are growing up that he would, you know, he'd pop up, you know, from Virginia from time to time, like, you know, maybe for Thanksgiving or Christmas or something, and it would be without warning. You know, this is completely unexpected, and truthfully, I probably hadn't seen him in, I am probably hadn't seen him in over a year. So for him to be unexpectedly (laughs) driving up my driveway at the exact second when I felt like I needed my dad the most, um, on cue, I have no explanation for it at all. And here's the kicker. So I go, I'm speechless. And again, like I'm crying most. I can't talk. I'm just so joyful to see him there, walk out to his car, and he says to me, how did you know I was coming? I'm like, what? And he says, "Well, how did I know? How did you know I was coming? You know, I didn't tell anyone I was coming. How'd you? How'd you know? I came to the door and opened it and looked out at the driveway. So on cue, it was jarring to him. He yeah, wanted he... to know how did I know that he was coming.
0: <laughs> That's great. That's
2: great. And I, 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 st- I don't think I even explained what was going on to him. I, I could barely explain about the rabbit, but I was just like, I need your help. So I marched him over to where Ron, the neighbor guy, was, explained the rabbit situation to him, and he did everything that my dad might have done. So he came over, and he stood there, and he, he looked – because that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to, you know, look. It's like that guy thing, you know, that car thing. You know, we, you know, who knows what they're doing when they're doing that. But, it's, you know, <laughs> my dad would always say, first, you got to look, right? You know, so he came over there and he stood and next to Ron and, you know, I stood by him. And so three of us were looking. We're looking at this rabbit down there. <laughs> And, um, you know, and then he starts giving Ron advice, you know, just like my dad probably would have, um, certainly would have and told him, oh, Ron, well, you know, all you need to do is this, you know, you just need to take that and get that rabbit out of there, the, you know, and take that and he can just bury that right down the hill, right under one of those trees. Ron he lives next door. Also, um, you know, like he doesn't have a car or anything like that. He doesn't really work, um, you know, a little bit down on your luck kind of thing. So he also offered like, yeah, and if you, you know, and then you need to get some lime or something put down there so smell goes away whatever if you need me to take you to the you know to the um to the store and we can pick up something and I'll pay for it even and you know bring you back and you can you know whatever so you know whatever we need to do so basically he just came in and he he filled in for my dad on
0: cue wow Um, that's a wonderful story I,
2: that's, that is my story. I, I have no other, I, 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 it brings me joy to think about it because I have no other, I have no explanation for it.
0: Well, what does it say to you about the God of your understanding?
2: It says to me that God is with me and that God is also with my parents and that my parents exist and they're with God and they are not far and that God is with me and that we are all family.
0: That sounds like it's very reassuring and comforting to you.
2: It's very much so, very much so. And it's incredibly meaningful again as we, we won't say older, but as we have continuing experiences and different just vantage points to reflect on, uh, reflect on life.
0: Yeah, as we gain life experience, as I like to say, you know, as you were telling the story, I was sitting here uh, tearing up. It's beautiful. That's a beautiful story of (laughs) love and care and devotion. And I could hear the emotion in your voice as you thought about your your dad and and as you considered the way that you were provided for. And what a heartfelt and beautiful story. Thank you very much for sharing that with me. I so appreciate it. Of course. This next story is my seminary brother, Garrett. He is an amazing individual. I'm going to put a link to his community in the show notes. He runs an online Facebook community called Community in Spirit. For anybody who's looking for a a group of people to connect with online who care about spiritual things you really wanna check out Garrett's group. Every once in a while, he has a live worship service that's done over the web, and the Facebook community is very active, and it's a wonderful community. So here's Garrett's story. Okay, so now we have a story from my dear seminary brother and friend, Garrett. And Garrett is going to be sharing with us a story about how the divine showed up for him. So fire away.
3: All right. Thank you, Theta. So, you know, the the divine and God, whatever, you know, I mean, sometimes I call it God, sometimes I call it spirit, but um, has showed up for me in so many ways. And the first one that comes to mind is when um, it was around the time when I had gotten my second cancer diagnosis and I was going through other stuff at the time and really was not in a good place, very scared, very, you know, um, just uncertain about a lot of things and had no faith. And I remember at that time I was seeing a therapist and I said to the therapist right around that time, "I I don't have faith. I don't know what to believe in, you know. And um, cancer became my greatest gift and teacher, and um, in so many ways. And one of the first ways I remember, I was—it was right around. I might have been just before I was diagnosed. It might have been right after, or even the same week. But I picked up a Natural Awakenings magazine. I don't know if you're familiar with those. They have them around the country, and they're they're sort of like a free little magazine that they have, especially when you walk out of a place like Whole Foods or New Age bookstores. And um, and I opened it up just randomly to a page that was about a man named Dr. Joe Dispenza, who I'd never heard of before in my life. But there was something about this article and opening it up to that page that was like, okay, universe, you, you want me to pay attention to this, you know? So I did, and I read it, and I went on to his website and started learning about him. And he was—he's um, a chiropractor. He was a chiropractor who was training for a triathlon um, many years ago, and was on his bike and was hit by an SUV, and was basically his spine was so damaged, and he was a chiropractor, you know that he could not move, he could not get out of bed, he could not, it was really, really horrible, and he was told to get surgeries, and he was. He just didn't want to go that route. So he spent every minute of every day lying in bed, um, and when I say he couldn't move, he really couldn't, I mean, this was really dire, and he he used his thoughts, to really heal himself. He rebuilt his spine, vertebra by vertebra, you know, Um, just imagining it and picturing it and being so grateful for the moment when he would be able to walk again. And, And he is now walking and he is Dr. Joe Dispenza. He does workshops and classes all over the country. So I have studied with him in person a few times. For the first two years, after I was diagnosed with the cancer, I listened to his guided meditation every morning at 5 a.m. I woke up and listened to this meditation, which is really about it's really about reprogramming your mind, you know, repro changing your thoughts, rewiring your thoughts, you know. And and it's a lot about gratitude. So
0: changing your changing your thoughts how so changing you talk your thoughts a bit about in
3: terms that? of focusing on. Not focus like focusing on the positive, focusing on to to rewire your brain to like the way he rebuilt his vertebra, you know, his his spine vertebra by vertebra. You can do that with any part of your life, you know. You can um, focus on rewiring your brain so that you think differently, you react differently, and gratitude's a big part of it. So I noticed the more grateful I was, even before something happened, even before I found out, like okay, now you're cancer-free, I was. I was so grateful that I was cancer free. It was so, it was so transformative. You know, he involves, he, he, he combines science with mysticism and science with spirituality.
0: My and he, favorite. Yeah, right? I love that. And in, I love and that. In one, of the,
3: in one of the workshops, it was so interesting because he, you know, he said, he does that for lots of reasons but one is to get men on board because men want something you know i'm stereotyping but in general you know uh men want something solid that they could anchor onto and when he involves the science into it although i've seen in his workshops many many women also like that you know and and, and it's like wow this does make sense you know and it and it really has something to do with all the neurons in our brain like the more we condition our brain to be uh, to be filled with gratitude to feel like what what you are wanting has already happened you know that uh, that uh, that you your brain does start to to fire differently you know you, the neurons in your brain start to fire fire off differently so so I consider i mean when I look back on things I think what an amazing gift from the universe from God from spirit to that day of all days pick up a natural awakening to that page <laughs> what I also realize is that you, the universe or God can, can give you those, those gifts or those signals or those messages, but we need to be receptive and we need to co-create with it, you know? So I could have looked at that and just been like, oh, this is one more thing that won't work. What do they know? You know, <laughs> they don't know about my situation, you know? But I really, I worked with it, you know, I worked with it and I, and I listened to it. And it did really, that was, you know, that was really honestly one of the things that I think was the one of the first turning points in me finding finding myself, finding, you know, joining some, going to seminary. I never thought in my life I would be in seminary. I never thought in my life I would be a prayer chaplain. (laughs) I never thought in my life I would have prayer partners that I pray with every day, you know, and all of these things happened. And, and it was through experiences like that. And that, that was not the only one there, there were other ones, you know, I, I never had prayed with somebody before. And when I was diagnosed, I was really scared, you know, I mean, I was like freaked out and, I was going to Unity Church at the time and I called our minister and I called the church and said, I'd like to set up a a meeting with the minister for like they called it spiritual counseling. At the time I didn't had no idea what that was, but it sounded like something I maybe maybe could use, you know? And again, it's sort of like where where did that nudge come from? Something I'd never done in my life. And I met with her and quite honestly, I don't even remember much of it except when the moment when she looked in my eyes and just said, you are going to be fine. And I felt like at that moment, that was the divine speaking through her to me. And that, yes, no matter what happened, no matter what the diagnosis was, no matter if the cancer comes back, no matter that, I will be fine. And, and
0: there, there are those moments, and I'm sure that uh, our listeners will be able to relate to this too, that there are moments when someone is speaking to you like that in, a, in an Um, It's emotionally charged and there's this connection to deep inside of you. Yeah. Know what they're saying is true to your very core. Yeah. And that 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 is something
3: powerful. And it is something then bigger than either one of you that's speaking to you in that moment, you know, and you get it. It's like.
0: It sounds like truth with a capital T.
3: Truth with a capital T. There's authority.
0: There's authority in that. And for the, the sacred teachers that we, we have in, in sacred scripture, Christianity and, and um, Islam and, and Buddhism, there is that sense from the, the writings of the people who followed those teachers or who experienced those teachers that they spoke with that same authority, that truth with a capital T that goes right to the heart. And and that is how people experience the divine through them as well. So that's not an uncommon thing that you're talking about, and it yeah. sounds like it was really powerful too.
3: It was really powerful, and the, and 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 I really felt like this this uh, minister was really a clear and open channel for me to you know to hear what I needed to hear, including she was the one that really talked to me first about one spirit because I was thinking about going to Unity uh, Seminary. And she had, even though she's Unity, she she had said, you know, have you thought about this one spirit? They're doing amazing things, you know? And those are the those are the things that if we listen to, right? The the uh the God gifts, you know, the the little messages that we have to be receptive to hearing and then taking our part to 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 do it or to follow it or to listen.
0: I think that's really important. Uh, And and this was mentioned earlier by another another of our storytellers that it's fine if these things show up, but it requires our cooperation and God is not, or the divine or the universe is not going to interfere with free will. And Mm. our cooperation, our participation is super important. And so I'm so glad that you mentioned that. And I really appreciate you sharing your story here, Garrett. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Next up, we get to hear from my twin sister about a story of serendipity that is still influencing her life 26 years later. Here you go. Okay, so my next person that I'm interviewing for this podcast is my twin sister, Tina. And she has a really cool story of the divine showing up in a special and surprising way. And I'm gonna let her share that with you. So go ahead.
4: Oh, well, it's, I'm really happy to be here. I was a Spanish major uh, at St. Mary's College and uh, the college had this program where you could go to Costa Rica for six weeks and learn about the culture and go to the beach and all that cool stuff. And since I was studying Spanish, I was really heavy into Latin American history and literature and culture and all that, those cool things. And I wanted to go my sophomore year, uh, after my sophomore year, between sophomore and junior year. But my folks were like, eh, you know, we don't really have the money right now. If you can just hold off for one more year, we can swing it. So, you know, I really wanted to go then, but I had, I had to wait because we didn't have the money. So... um that next year came around, okay, between my junior and senior year, and we flew to Costa Rica. And I didn't really know much about Costa Rica. I mean I (laughs) this is crazy, but I didn't even know where it was. I remember sitting on the plane looking at the guidebook to find out where it was we were going. Oh my god, it was so funny. We get there, my host family picks me up. It's really, really late. I'm really, really tired. Uh, Fast forward to the third day, I'm supposed to go to the university to meet with my tribe, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and my house brother was supposed to pick me up and drive me to the university, and darn it, if he never showed up. So I said, well, I'm going to be late for class. I need to get moving. So I got on the bus, and... As I was getting on the bus, the bus was practically empty because it was mid-morning. Everybody had already gone to work and that. I, I saw this guy, like, probably four rows from the back. And he smiled at me. And I smiled back thinking, ew. And sat down. And I looked back, and he was still looking at me. And I kind of smiled. It just I couldn't help it. I just kind of smiled. And um, a couple stops later, I looked back. Psycho's still looking at me. <laughs> well, it wasn't really psycho. I, I waited, and it, because the university was quite, quite a ways away. And next thing I know, he sits next to me. And he asks me if I spoke Spanish. Okay. You have to understand, I've been there for three days. I did speak very good Spanish. And I had, was up to my eyebrows that had it with people asking me, oh, do you speak Spanish? And then when I spoke, oh, how cute, you speak really well. I was, it was on my last nerve. So he sits down and says, oh, do you speak Spanish? And I looked at him and said what amounted to, no, I don't speak a word, can't you tell? And so, yeah, me and my, my sarcastic self. And he stayed, he still sat there. <laughs> he didn't get up and go away. So we started talking. And um, I asked for his number because the phone at my host family's house was kind of coming and going. Now, children, let's remember this is before the age of WhatsApp and cell phones. And, you know, we're talking about Costa Rica in the 1990s. This was 1991 and they didn't have email yet. So they didn't know what internet was yet. So this is, it was back in the olden days when you had a little book with all the phone numbers in it, or you actually memorized people's phone numbers. Oh my God. I got his phone number and I waited a couple of days to call him because I didn't want to seem desperate. And I figured two days was good. So I waited and uh, we went out, I called him up and he, he said, well, let's go to a movie. And I'm thinking we're going to go see some, you know, really romantic gone with the wind, something beautiful it took me to see silence of the lambs very romantic movie yes yes just stars in my eyes and i'm thinking to myself i am dead he's gonna drag me off into some alley and kill me that's pretty much what's gonna happen well uh fortunately for me it did not we went afterwards to a nearby bar and we're drinking beer and talking and all this stuff and there was something about him, but he also got on my last nerve. Uh, he just was a medical student talking about you know this and that with doctors and just he was just really kind of full of himself, which is very ironic because once I got to know him really well, he's one of the most humble people I've ever met in my life, one of the most centered, grounded human beings that I've ever met but anyway he it just, there was something, but he was getting on my nerves. So I said, okay, well, let's go home. And we took the bus back because he didn't have a car. And he walked me home and he kissed me goodnight. And that's when the lights went either off because I was so shocked or on because it was so awesome. I'm not sure which. Uh, and I knew, I knew right then that there was something there. And we pretty much were at each other's side for the next six weeks. By week, I want to say week three, I, re- I remember specifically coming home from a date and sitting on my bed and crying hysterically because I knew what was coming. I knew the pl- I had been given a vision of the plan. And it was that I would marry him and, and stay in Costa Rica. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to go home and have him come with me. But that wasn't what the plan was. And I was terrified. I, I couldn't say no because I loved him so deeply. And, and I know that you're probably saying, oh, well, it was only three weeks. You have no idea. I cannot explain the depth of what I felt for him was not puppy love. It was, it was the assurance that I had met the person I was to spend this life with. And it was the assurance that his energy and my energy had met previously. And wow, it was hard, it was hard. After six weeks, I left, and I said, wait for me, I'll come back, because, um, well, there were two reasons why I left. One was because I really, he and I both thought it was best to finish school, and two, because my professor, um, Jorge Rogachevsky, who's this little Argentinian dude, said, y- you have to come back, or your six-foot-four father is going to crush me like a cockroach, so please. Come back with me. I'm begging you, Tina. Please come back, please. Yeah, I can't leave you here. They'll, you know, I'll lose my job. <laughs> Fine, I'll do. So it's it was hard. We spent six weeks apart, um, six weeks together, and then six months apart, just writing letters and talking once a month because it was so expensive to talk. And I still have all the love letters. I still have all the tapes we made. The mixtapes we made for each other in those days, and. I've never seen it as coincidence. I've always seen it as something more. And we have been married 26 and a half years. And still, you know, we've managed not to kill each other. So I suppose we're doing good.
0: That is an awesome story. And what I want to share with everyone is the part of the story that I, uh, I, I hope I haven't made this up. I think this is what happened is that her, her husband Randall is, was, Supposed to be taken to medical school by his dad.
4: Oh, yeah, um, I forgot that.
0: Yeah, his dad was supposed to take him to medical school. So he's, Tina's sitting on one side of town waiting for her family, uh, host family's brother to take her to class and he forgets her. And on the other side of town, uh, Randall's father was supposed to take him to class, but he forgot about him too. So that is how they both ended up on this bus. And what you need to know about Costa Rica back then is there was literally another bus coming about every three minutes because back then bus was a main, the main system of transportation. Now more people have cars and it's, there are still a lot of buses, but not as frequent as they were in the early 90s. So the likelihood that the two of them would end up on the same bus is really, really slim. It's a little bit, the odds are a little bit better than you winning the lottery. So neither of them was supposed to be on this bus. They're both on this bus. They meet. They fall in love. They have been married now for over 26 years, and they have a son, and things are working out beautifully. So uh, just another story of the way the divine can show up. Thanks so much, Tina.
4: Love you guys. Thank you.
0: Once again, I want to say thank you to all of my interview participants, and thank you for listening. I look forward to dialoguing with anybody who's interested. Just send me an email, drthetafrans at gmail.com, and I, uh, I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks.